Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Mattel. You know, while smokable flowers, edibles, and vapes lead the legal cannabis sales, THC-infused beverages are projected to become a major market segment. For now, they account for slightly more than 1% of the total cannabis sales, but beverages are growing and trending up, according to market intelligence firm Headset. And in the category, it's becoming to become more sophisticated. In 2021, the Boston Beer Company, the name behind some of America's, of America's favorite brands such as Samuel Adams, Twisted Tea, and Angry Orchard, threw its hat into the ring and established a Canadian subsidiary to research and develop THC beverages in advance of future U.S. legalization. My guest today is the head of the cannabis for the Boston Beer Company, Mr. Paul Weaver. Paul, thanks so much for joining us today on Let's Be Blunt. Montel, so great to see you again. I'm so happy that we can chat about my favorite topic, which is cannabis drinks, like the most normal way to consume cannabis in like a social setting. This is great. Let's talk about it. I have a feeling that that's going to be, you're right. It's going to become the most normal way to consume cannabis right now. Again, it's, you know, estimated about 1% of the market, but it's growing. Look, before we dig into the cannabis drink conversation, tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about your background. Where are you from? Yeah, well, I'm from uh, Mesa, Arizona, originally, so uh, I'm a little bit sad right now to see my Phoenix Suns let me down again. Uh, but I live up here in Toronto. I've been in Toronto now for about 10 years. Uh, I started in the beer industry um, working with uh, Molson Coors, so I worked at Molson Coors in their brewery. Uh, product development department. Canadian um, Molson Golden, boy, I'm telling you. Oh, Molson Golden. Okay, yeah, that's a classic. Yeah, so like like a storied uh, Canadian brewer. And I had a chance to, to really fall in love with the beer industry through my relationship with Molson Coors. And then um, it became pretty clear that cannabis was going to be legalized federally here in Canada in about 2016. And I, and I wanted to be a part of that industry. Cannabis had become a big part of my life. Uh, I was a medical cannabis uh, patient for a number of years. And so I had the opportunity to join Canopy Growth Corporation, which at the time was the largest cannabis company in the world and led product innovation for Canopy Growth. And then in 2020, I uh, left Canopy. I met the team at Boston Beer. I met Jim Cook, the founder, Dave, the CEO. And uh, lo and behold, they were interested in getting into the cannabis space as well. And now I get to bring these two worlds together, my, my passion for beer, my passion for weed and now here, here we are in Canada for Boston Beer Company making weed drinks, putting the two worlds together. And let's explain to people that as just because of the Boston Beer Company, it doesn't mean that you're making a beer-infused beer, a cannabis-infused beer drink. You're making a cannabis-infused drink, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, you know, Boston Beer Company, beer is our middle name, so we love championing beer. But the beer drinker is pretty nuanced now, Montel, right? Like... You know, the, uh, for example, we make a drink in America called Twisted Tea, and Twisted Tea is the top ten selling beer in America. So I think you know the the palate of the American beer drinker has kind of uh, evolved a little bit. So yeah, we we make cannabis drinks here in Canada, but our first product is actually a drink called Teapot, which is a can cannabis iced tea. So yeah, like we we're a beer company at our core, but we make a lot of different styles of beverages, not just uh, not just beers. And, you know, just I, I just an aside, because, you know, a lot of companies, you know, have shunned cannabis, but a lot of companies are looking at the future and understanding that there's going to be huge market share with cannabis in the next four or five years. 
Why did the Boston Beer Company decide, you know what, we, we're so successful, I think we're going to go ahead and step into cannabis. I mean, what, was their, what was their rationale behind even getting into cannabis? You know, you know, I can only draw inferences before I joined the company, but I would say, but I, and knowing where we are now, but it's both objective and subjective, right? Objectively, like cannabis is, ain't going anywhere as in terms of it's like consumption amongst the next generation of drinkers. And you cats would be out of the bag. Yeah, cats out of the bag, man. And you wouldn't you'd would be remiss not to address, if nothing else, just loss prevention. How you ensure that you keep protect your core business as this new, attractive, arguably better than uh, alternative. And, and so I think objectively it's the right thing to do. And you're seeing more and more companies kind of understand what they would do if. Subjectively, though, you know, having been now with this company for uh, almost two years doing product development in cannabis, culturally, this is a company that really understands cannabis, really appreciates the benefits of the plant. And it's really been a, a pleasure to extend what this company does in craft beer into the world of cannabis. So it isn't just this shrewd business decision, although that's certainly a part of it. Culturally, you know, we're, we're, we're really embracing cannabis. We put cannabis now in part of our HR policies in America uh, we have um, tips and tools for parents on how to talk about cannabis in our HR guidelines. Like we're embracing cannabis just like we did craft beer and sel- and cider and seltzer. Like it's just part of the family now. Got it. And, you know, uh, you, you just mentioned your first product that's in the marketplace now in cannabis. Let's talk, cannabis, cannabis, let's talk a little bit about it. Yeah. I mean, first, uh, you know, once you land on a great name, it's hard to hard to. Uh, avoid uh, all the love. We, we, we launched a line called Teapot and Teapot is a line of cannabis infused iced teas. And the, the idea behind Teapot is pairing the right tea with the right pot for the right occasion. So we've got a line of good day iced teas that pair caffeinated teas with specific uplifting sativa strains. Uh, and we've got relaxing good evening iced teas that pair um, you know, blueberry chamomile with a nice relaxing indica. The idea is cannabis can be, can add value throughout any time of day, but it can be really confusing. What teapot is designed to do is to make that really simple, a great tasting iced tea. It doesn't taste or smell like weed and will introduce time of day through different types of tea. And, and so far it's been doing really well. We're really pleased with how it's performing for us here in Canada. And uh, we can't wait to bring it to the American market one day. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, but a lot of people don't understand that there are challenges created when you try to create a cannabis drink over other delivery modalities because of the fact that, again, the active ingredients in cannabis is oil-based. So (laughs) you have to make it so that it is emulsifiable in water, right? You know, we've come so far as a a category, both like just generally in the cannabis industry and, and specifically for drinks. You know, if you and I were having this conversation, let's say three years ago, Montel, we would be talking about like, is it stable? <laughs> will it blend? Will it hold its potency? Not even like, will it taste good? We're just hoping that it will like, will it make a stable beverage? And it's been really cool to see how the cannabis drinks category and technology and sophistication has evolved. Now we're well beyond these existential questions of can we make an infused beverage that is shelf stable and, um, manufacturable. Now it's like, okay, but who tastes good? What's the uh, kind of product experience? What's the branding? So we've, we really leveled up in terms of our sophistication and you're right. Like taking a cannabis extract, which is like a thick viscous oil 
and turning that into a beverage ingredient is no small feat. And it's a, it's a testament to the sophistication of our team that knows how to do that. And, you know, it's one of those things that a lot of people don't understand. Again, if it was just oil that you were putting in there, you know, you probably end up with a drink that's got, a, you know, just a sludge on the top sitting on the top. <laughs> or gulp would be, you know, basically you get the entire uh, active ingredient in the first gulp. But the way you do it, it's infused so that it's released throughout the entire time that you drink it, correct? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's lots of technical words that I've learned in my career in drinks, right? Like homogenous, like can you make it so that it's equally dispersed so it's not, yeah, just not the oil just like sitting on top. It's hard. It's really, really hard to make a cannabis drink like technically. And a lot of the, a lot of the, the people in our industry, Montel, talk about defeating the illicit market or competing with the illicit market, you know, like. There's a lot of cheap flour and it's hard to tell the difference between legal cannabis and illegal cannabis. And, you know, there's a lot of illegal gummy brands out there, not a lot of illicit market beverages because it's pretty hard to make. So we kind of end up being kind of this outlying category where we really kind of exemplify the legal cannabis market. You know, we're really hard to make. We require a lot of sophistication, a lot of infrastructure. You know, it costs a lot to make a beverage facility. It's very difficult to put them on trucks. And, and ship those around like it is it is a professional industry and uh the illicit market there's a reason why they don't touch drinks much yeah you know in the states right now because you know um and you know i'm, I'm uh, for all 100 complete disclosure i'll make sure everybody lets me blunt understands i am in the marketplace um but we do recognize that here in the states there are a lot of these stick pack mixable fizzy types of things that they have that have cannabinoids in them that you could put in a pre-existing drink. Why not come up with something like that before you decide to send out a drink that's, you know, fully emulsified, but then again, you got to deal with shipping weight and all those kinds of things. I'll add it to the list. Like, it's a great idea. Like there, we could, I mean, the, the cool part about what we're doing here in Boston beers, cannabis division is we're just getting started. Like we're literally just getting started. We've got one, product line out, but we've got the sky's the limit in terms of the types of drinks we can make and the ways we can bring cannabis into a much more social setting. Right. We are drink makers. That's our core competency. We make Samuel Adams, Twisted Tea, Angry Orchard Cider, Truly Hard Seltzer. You know, our bread and butter is making amazing tasting, ready to drink beverages. And that's, that's what we wanted to lead with. You know, we think we have an opportunity to level up the quality conversation in the ready to drink cannabis space. And yeah, like if we wanted to do tea bags with teapot, or if we wanted to do powders or uh, drink uh, drink adders or whatever you want to call them, that's always on the list. We can always explore that. But we want to make sure that we lead with our strength and our strength is making those ready-to-drink beverages. And in particular, making tea, like non-carbonated, crushable iced tea is something that we do better than anybody else. And we want to make sure that we stake our claim to that. That's, that's something we want to make sure we know we could do better than anybody. And what are the attributes that you feel the most important in creating a great drink? You know, one of the industry terms uh, that we talk about, this is uh, it's a bit of an industry speak, but the word would be sessionability. Um, and sessionability really refers to the ability to enjoy a beverage over a prolonged period of time. You know, you and I can go in a lab, make something, take a sip and be like, oh, that's awesome. Let's launch it. But how does that flavor build over time? How does it taste after the 10th sip? Has it taste after the sixth drink over six days? This idea of building the flavor palette with um, kind of a continuous barrage of liquid 
that's hard to do, you know, the ability to make something sessionable. So not to interrupt you, but I mean, I think you're so right on when you talk about this, because in the States right now, in several different markets, like in Boston area, Massachusetts, I mean, Massachusetts area, New Hampshire, um, I've literally had some cannabis drinks that, you know, I, I have found <clears throat> for the first half of the can. But by the second half of the can, the flavors don't mix the right way. It's just something going on about that. Yeah. They, they really, um, you know, without, you know, using any brand names, but just saying that, you know, sometimes you're in the middle of that first can and then all of a sudden it just has that real heavy burnt cannabis. <laughs> yeah, kind of a chemical taste, yeah. right? Like it's yeah. something that has to do with the technology required to emulsify that oil, right? Like to turn the oil into a water soluble ingredient that there requires some, some technology. And that can, if you don't do it right, it can have like a bitter lingering taste. It can taste like chemical, but you know, you asked me like, why don't I, why aren't we into powders yet? Well, like we're a beverage company entering the cannabis space. We're not a cannabis company entering the beverage space. Yeah. And I think that's an important distinction, right? Like our expertise is solving that. Our expertise is doing that uh, better than anybody not growing really good weed or making pre-rolled joints. Like our expertise is we are drink makers at our core. And I think that's what you'll find when you, and please do come to Toronto, try teapot. And I think you'll see that the, the, the difference is night and day. Well, and it's available. And since you are a, a legal rec country, it's available in what liquor stores. Oh, I wish, you know, that's the dream state, right? Is to one day have cannabis drinks sold in the same channels as alcohol. That's, that's the end game for us, right? Have adult intoxicating beverages sold in one location. Right now, though, everything THC goes into dispensaries. So we are sold in legal Canadian dispensaries for now. But no, I like where your head's at. Like that's that's the dream goal for us is to um, align that beverages are beverages uh, and they should all be kind of sold through the same channels. And now... In Canada, I'm just noting that it probably is different than the United States. Several of the states here are starting to have consumption opportunities for cannabis in social settings. However, the rules and regulations are so crazy and just out of the, just, I, I can't even put my hand around someone. Some of them you can, you can, but you can't serve anything else. You can't even serve water, you know I mean, which is stupid. Yeah. And in other words, you can serve cannabis, but you can't serve alcohol. In other words, you can serve cannabis, but you can't serve something to eat. It's just so stupid the way these rules have been put in place. And I, I don't know how long it's going to take before. Well, I do. I think it's going to take until some of the diehard, you know, dinosaurs in Washington, <laughs> D.C. kind of, you know, <clears throat> fall into extinction. Um, but, this is my favorite topic, Montel. Yeah, like, honestly, well, my favorite topic is consumption lounges, right? Okay. Creating a bar or restaurant environment where you can experience a cannabis product like that's that's how brands are built that's how you learn to put you know a lime wedge in your beer or you learn to put uh, a certain glass for your wine in the bar or in the restaurant that's kind of how beverage brands are built so to have a legal platform to introduce your product try products understand kind of how you react to the product that is again kind of a dream state end goal but, you know, I'm not as cynical about the short term. Like, yes, right now the rules are pretty, like, restricted because this is new for everybody, you know. And we just have to make sure that every time we find progress in those rules, we don't take a step back. You know, so right, right. now in Canada, there is no 
bylaw or regulation for on-premise or restaurant or bar consumption. But there are ways that people have done it. You know, there are special event permits. There is um, a really cool spot in downtown Toronto called Lit Research, where we host trivia nights and you can try teapot and you can um, have a fun kind of bar-like experience. So we're getting there. You know, we're getting there slowly but surely. And I try not to be too cynical because I just trust that we're on the right side of history. I trust that every time I give someone a can of teapot, they want more. They love it. They want to try it and they want to share it with others. So we'll get there. We'll get there. Well, let me just, let me stop you right there. Cause I mean, when it, when it comes to teapot, you know, and I also have experienced this with several of the different types of drinks that I can find in different States here in the United States, a lot of the drinks, you know, the onset is, can be strange. I mean, um, I might uh, drink one a little faster. Well, no, I might drink one and don't feel it for 40 minutes. I might drink another one and feel it in three minutes. I may drink another one and, you know, uh, half a can. I'm still like, you know, come on. This is like annoying because I got to drink the whole can of beverage before I, I literally. Uh, it's, so, it's, it's so funny, though, like because I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a beer guy, right? Like I've worked in right. beer for a long time and I've worked in alcohol for a long time. And they don't talk about that in alcohol, though. You know, no one asks like, well, how long do you feel a buzz right. or a slight or when do you feel a Sam Adams buzz? Like that's not how alcohol talks. But we, we're so like data driven and so objective in terms of prescribing the experience for cannabis that we want to give people a specific window of when you would feel effects. But the reality is just like when do you feel a buzz from alcohol, like it's all different. Sometimes, you know, it depends on what you ate. It depends on your experience level. It might depend on the way that the drink was made, right. you know. Like, and it might depend on the potency of that beverage and how concentrated that, that beverage is. So yeah, like a cannabis drink is a faster onset than a traditional edible. It is inherently because of the way the liquid works and it enters your, your stomach. Um, but that can be 20 minutes for some or 30 or 40 minutes for another. Like you're right. It's kind of all over the place, but it kind of speaks to the inherent contradiction between how we think about the OG drug of alcohol versus uh, versus, let's say, the new formats like out like cannabis. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, I, I can understand what you're saying because I, I know, you know, let's say I'm at a barbecue or something and I grab a cold beer. If I pour down that whole beer, by the time I finish that beer, you know, I'm eating hot, spicy crabs, I will feel a little bit from that beer. Yeah, especially, yeah, before you eat, you know, you know, there's the food effect. Have you have you ever had a guest on your show talk about the food effect of cannabis? It's kind oh, of that's right. I, I talk about it all the time. People don't understand because yeah. Even though you have made it water soluble, it is an oil-based product that enters your system bioavailability-wise almost yeah, totally. more than any other oil will. So if you have eaten a very oily meal or a milk meal, or you've eaten, let's say you had an ice cream cone, and then you drink cannabis drinks, sometimes that milk or that oil-based faster, huh? It'll go faster, right? Absolutely. It'll go in. Yeah, yeah it's still counterintuitive because I think we're used to thinking about alcohol and like having drinking on an empty stomach will get you a buzz faster. But in cannabis, sometimes it can be the opposite where if you have, if you have oily foods in your system, the oil will glob onto that and you'll get higher faster. Like it's just so different, right? And I think it's just, you know, the, the, the ethos for all edibles for a new drinker and cannabis drinks always speak to new drinkers, new consumers because it's such a easy to understand form factor, start low, go slow, right? That's yeah. always that ethos. Slow as you go. No question. Yeah. And because, and it's all, we all have your own relative tolerance, your own relative, you know, metabolism, everything is relative to you. And some people 
are a quick drunk and some people are a quick stone. You know, you just got to kind of find your find your vibe. So I think it's just, you know, teapot is a five milligram THC drink. It's a really it's a low dose beverage. It's enough so you won't be kind of intimidated by one can. Start low, go slow. If you want to have some fun, you know, start a timer and then, you know, the, my favorite, the, you know, the answer to the question, am I high is always yes. So mm-hmm. if you start asking, you're asking yourself, well, am I high? You're probably a little high. You probably are because <laughs> you're denying that you are. That's why you're asking the question. Yeah, yeah. You already answered the question. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, now, again, I could see how this would be a really incredible opportunity for social. I mean, we've just looked at we're coming out of, out of COVID right now. You know, and the idea of, you know, I go to events now, I go to places now where, you know, there's cannabis being consumed, but I can remember the day when, let's say, I'd step outside at a convention and someone would be outside in the smoking area and they'd hand you their joint. And, you know, of course, you know, you might, you know, you won't put the whole joint in your mouth even before COVID, but you might hold in your fingers and you take a hit. Now, instead of giving you the joint that they were smoking, someone outside will hand you another joint. <laughs> yeah, 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 right? That's kind of funny, right? It's like the socialization thing is, is just so subtly changed. I've gone to events where instead of, you know, the group going over in the corner and there's one joint being passed between five, well, there may be five joints, um, you know, or or four, four different um, uh, delivery systems there in that corner. So each person, you're still enjoying the social activity of smoking together, but you're not smoking the same thing. Well, so first, I'm so glad that, I mean, no offense to your show, but Mm -hmm. like, I'm not a blunt smoker. I'm not either. (laughs) Blunts ain't my jam. And so when someone passes me a blunt, I'm like, it's like this limp, wet thing. I'm like, no, man, no. I'm the the same way as you. I like, let's be blunt because we're talking about the issue, but I'm not (laughs) necessarily a blunt smoker either. But go ahead. Well, but, you know, I think that the, the world of smoking weed versus drinking weed is also very different, right? Like a cannabis beverage allows you to participate in like a social setting without breaking from it. You know, like right. let's say you're in a, in a house party or you're in a bar or restaurant or you're in a, um, you know, indoor wedding or whatever, and people are having their glasses of wine or, or a pint of beer and you'd like to consume cannabis because you don't want to have alcohol right now. You would have to step outside, break from the party, join the smokers, maybe go outside and have the lonely stoner moment, then come back inside. But a cannabis drink just allows you to stay in the engaged in the moment, participate, and not feel like you have to compromise at all. That's the thing I love about drinks. And another thing about a cannabis drink too is it's like it's so it, it's so conspicuous. You know, you're holding a can versus like what brand or strain is that on a pre-roll? Like you're never gonna really know unless someone's really well educated about it. But a can is a conspicuous form of consumption, allows you to get your brand out there, allows you to, you know, talk about it, be a little bit evangelical about the category, but without having to remove yourself from the, the group setting, you know. That, but even even in, those, in that same group setting, instead of holding the can, I can pour it into a glass and I can stand there and not feel ostracized by everybody else who's sitting there drinking. You can, drink. you can control your fate, you know. You want to just have the keg cup, the red solo cup with a can of teapot poured into it. Like, it works just, just as fine as... Uh, as a, a something from the keg. Absolutely. Now, now what goes in, how stable is it? Cause I know that, you know, stability is, is an issue and especially when it comes to drinks and especially when it comes to canned drinks that are shipped. Yeah. They're going to sit on the shelf. 
you know, what's the shelf like look like when it comes to cannabis drink records? So this is some shop talk, but I'm so pumped as I love shop talk. Okay. So in, uh, let's just talk drinks first, not cannabis drinks, right? In the drinks category, stability is usually a reflection of taste. So they'll talk about like sensory stability, right? Like, will your beer taste as good in six months as it does now? Will your hard seltzer taste as good 12 months from now that it does today? And that's a reflection of like how quality the drink is, how quality the ingredients are, how preserved it is in the packaging, because alcohol isn't going anywhere, right? Alcohol is a, is a preservative. Alcohol right. stays flat. We learned very early in the cannabis category when we were making drinks that THC is not alcohol. THC has a lot more delicate uh, features and can degrade over time. If right. you don't can probably can it. turn back into just CBD over time, right? Anything, right? Any right. cannabinoid can oxidize. Any cannabinoid can get affected by light. Um, and that potency can start to decline if you don't properly protect it in the packaging. So the liquid itself, not for cannabis, has two areas of stability. We, for, of course, have to make sure it tastes good for an extended period of time to handle the supply chain, the route to market, the kind of turn in retail. So if we can get nine months, a year out of a, of a cannabis drink from a sensory perspective, we're, we're laughing. But then we also have to ensure that we've stabilized the active ingredient because there's nothing worse than cracking open a can of uh, a cannabis drink and then it just being dead in, it, in the can like and not getting an effect from it. So Teapot has, you know, right now we're, we're, we, we kind of track it in real time, right? So we've only been selling Teapot since the end of last year. But, you know, we like the, tra- the path we're on. We think we've got about nine or 12 months of stability in a single can of Teapot. But that's both a reflection of the taste and the active ingredient. So it doesn't degrade in potency, but it also tastes just as good nine or 12 months from now as it did when we made it. Go cool. ahead. Of course, I'm sure that the container itself and the way the container is manufactured has a big part to play in that also, right? Yeah. I mean, that's why we, the, a lot of cannabis drinks, we love cans because an aluminum can is like just an airtight vessel versus like a bottle, which might have, you know, an airtight seal, but there's still a little bit of room for the air to get in or right. light to get in. So cans are like the most protected form. Can liners make a big difference too. You got to make sure that the liquid is protected inside the aluminum. So it doesn't, not only does it not taste like metal, but it um, doesn't leach cannabinoids and start to pull out the THC. So yeah, like you're talking some real technical hurdles in terms of packaging and liquid stability to ensure the drink tastes great six, nine, 12 months from now. And it's also just as potent six, nine, 12 months from now. And what do you, what do you see kind of put your crystal ball on for a second? What do you see the forecast for cannabis drinks in the marketplace? What do you think is a forecast for? Well, I mean, you know, you talked at the intro about the size, the relative size of cannabis drinks as a part of the overall industry. And that's small. It's small relative to the industry that's run by flour, vape, pre-rolls. In Canada, cannabis drinks are a much bigger part of the edible category because of the sophistication, the number of players, how much that's being embraced by dispensaries. So in Canada, you see... Uh, drinks being about 25 to 30% of the legal edible sales. So of the legal edible sales, drinks are a much more dominant uh, contributor to the overall pie. And I think that's the path we want to be on is measure ourselves as a percentage of the total edible category, and then start to decouple ourselves from the growth. Like we're on a growing category. We're growing every quarter. 
that's great. We want to see that growth. Where the flower, how vape category does is kind of irrelevant to us. Like that's great that vapes are selling as well. But what we want to see is healthy, continuous growth from the cannabis drinks category. And the other thing we love about drinks in terms of growth is it's really protected against commoditization. You know, like flour is agriculture and edibles really go towards the cheapest, strongest milligram per bite. But drinks are have a chance to really break from that commodity spiral. So I also like seeing the pricing growth, seeing steady pricing growth or at least stable pricing performance and continual volume growth. That's what we want to see in the drinks category relative to the rest of the cannabis category. Like it's like comparing tobacco to alcohol. Like these are two completely different categories. Right. Right. And you know, now do you, do you manufacture only in Canada or do you also manufacture in the United States? Do you have a manufacturing facility in the United States? Yeah. It speaks to why, why I'm in Canada versus doing in Boston, which is our head office, right? Boston beer company is a publicly traded company. We've got institutional investors. We've got 40 years of, of experience making um, drinks for the American beer drinker. <clears throat> we can't really participate in the U.S. cannabis category, the THC category right now, under the way those those laws are being interpreted. Unless you did it in only one state or unless you built it. No, like even, even in one state only. Under the way the current regulations are, under the way the current banking access is, under the way the current stock exchange interpretation of the plant is, we don't touch THC in America. We don't. We're not until there's a little bit of regulatory clarity. So for us, Canada is unequivocally legal. It allows us to prepare our product pipeline. Uh, we th- we've got something really special with Teapot. And we think that, you know, it's about us building kind of our core strengths for Teapot, building a little bit of awareness in America so that one day when that regulatory clarity exists, we're ready to go. But put on a crystal ball. When do you think that might happen? Or when do you think the U.S. is ready for your products? Well, I think it's going to be dip, a lot different than we all anticipated. You know, like you and I were, were chatting in Miami and the vibe I got from Miami was that this narrative of like federal legalization like we had in Canada, that's not the path for America. I think it's going to be a, a piecemeal, fragmented exception, executive order, moments of banking clarity. It's going to be this kind of patchwork of plugging all the holes required for large Fortune 500 companies to really finally enter the category. And I think along with that, I think you're going to find one of the things maybe we did not mention, I think what's going to happen in the United States is before there is federal legalization, I think we're going to start to see, I don't know, memorandums of understanding between multiple states, states that are states that touch each other. I think we're going to start to find over the course, maybe like two years from now, that one state, to states that are touching each other that have legal cannabis are going to say, yes, in fact, you can cross our state line. We're going to let you do that. And we don't care what the Fed says. Well, it's, I mean, I'm kind of right there with you. There's, there is this kind of ominous narrative in the U.S. cannabis industry that I don't think people talk a, a lot about, which is like, what's up with interstate commerce and how do you protect state level industries against big agriculture, big economies of scale, you know, like California would love to supply the nation's cannabis, but then like what happens with Delaware, (laughs) what happens with Vermont, you know, like the idea of scale and the idea of, of small state run industries and the threat of what happens when there's this glut of flour that Oregon would love to supply. Like there's some 
growing pains. You know, there has to be a transition period between state to federal industry one way or the other, whether it's those regional alliances, whether it's like a, a grace period. Like it's kind of scary to think about Delaware competing against Texas in terms of scale, right? Like there has to be some consideration for that that transition. But now, look, having said all of this, uh, you know, do you if you wanted a crystal ball, could you do it? I mean, do you think that next two years, next three years, next four years, next five years? Yeah. Well, I mean, you start adding that timeline, the answer is going to be yes. What I right, I do feel confident that there is going to be something happening this year to address something, whether that's a banking provision, whether that's a rescheduling, whether that's insurance, whether that's um, some executive order, some movement on interstate commerce. I think this year there has to be some progress in terms of. Well, I, I would think that your crystal ball is, is right because I truly believe that this, uh, you know, 2024 presidential election and whoever jumps on it first is going to get reelected. They're going to get elected. I mean, I think that the nation's got to understand, and all the politicians out there, as much as they want to fight it, we're talking about the fact that you have 38 states in the District of Columbia that have already passed. And then the next election, there's going to be probably another four states that broach the question. So, you know, this we we were we have more states in favor of cannabis legalization or have a legalization cannabis law that had same-sex marriage laws before it was nationally addressed. Well, and I mean, the we're, again, we're on the right side of history, right? Like poll numbers support it. It is a, uh, an apolitical topic, right? Like both sides of the political spectrum seem to be supporting some form of legal cannabis access. Um, and particularly forms like ours, right? Like making a cannabis drink. I would argue if you were to pose a legalization of cannabis edible bill independent of the other farm factors that would get so much more support. You know, one of the things that I think we sometimes forget the longer we work in this industry and uh, the more passionate we are about the plant is just how like most people don't like the smell of weed. And I think a lot of their apprehension on supporting legalization is the thought of walking down the street and just smelling it because People don't like a lot of people don't like the smell of weed. So the idea of our product being an exception to that drinks are the most socially acceptable, least offensive form of cannabis consumption. And just the sheer momentum of, of the population overwhelmingly supporting some form of legal access like it is going to happen. It has to happen. There's just too much critical mass. I think it's just a question of how it's facilitated in, in Washington, but maybe we can circumvent that with more state level movement, executive orders, rescheduling, things like that. Sure. Now, do tell me a little bit more about the event, uh, the events that you hold in Toronto. Oh, our trivia nights. About? Well, Hey man, like again, come on up. Like uh, we would love to host you. The, the, the cool thing about how the consumption lounge consumption experience is evolving is the rules are being written like, as we do these experiences, right? So for example, um, in downtown Toronto, there's a Health Canada approved research site that you can send products in and it's research. So you have to participate as like a study and you've got to answer questions about your experience, but that's kind of a formality. What it really is, is a place for you to go and congregate with people you know and try cannabis products. And it's, it's groundbreaking when you actually do it because then you're like, this is kind of like a bar. This is kind of like an on-premise experience. It just happens to be under the lens of 
research in the, in the eyes of Health Canada. That's the baby steps. That's kind of that first step towards what could be a on-premise or bar restaurant experience. That's like totally legal in Canada. I would bet that um, just like here in the United States, one of the things that I've always talked about and I've continued to talk about is that, you know, what we've done here in the States as an industry, we do a really good job from a B2B yeah. standpoint. You know, but we do a piss poor job from a B2C standpoint, meaning the, the business to consumer. We don't educate the consumer. You know, so, you know, if you have a, if you have one of those education rights or where you just want to talk to consumers about, you know, the, the value of cannabis as an alternative, uh, you got to holler at my folks because I'd love to come up and participate in an event like that to help teach people and, you know, show people and then we, uh, maybe the, see if I can explain. We sometimes talk about talking. Are we talking to industry or are we talking to civilians? And I think one of the reasons why we're so piss poor at going B to C is we're just all so passionate about weed. It's all, you know, I mean, your story and how cannabis has possibly affected your life is incredible. And there are millions like you. And I have my own personal positive experience with cannabis that changed my life. And the idea of us being so evangelical and so passionate about cannabis sometimes can make us a little insufferable to be around because all we want to do is just preach the good word. And so I do think sometimes we got to cool it and just be like, just like be normal about how passionate we are about the product. And sometimes these experiences and these on-premise, they end up becoming industry talking to itself, which is great. And they're great for building relationships and, and uh, product education and teaching uh, retailers about our product, but they can kind of alienate just the civilians that honestly, they want to just go live their nine to five life and just smoke a little weed. So it's, it's funny to think about yeah. like we're sometimes shooting ourselves in the foot with our own enthusiasm. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, what I, what I really think would, uh, would be good though, is on those nights, the enthusiasm should be about our stories, not the technical aspect of cannabis. If you understand what I mean. I mean, I think that, you know, the consumer out there right now, like I'm getting ready to, uh, my brand is getting ready to go into Georgia. Georgia has some very, very unique, I'm in mass. I'm about to go to Georgia. Georgia's got some, that law is a very, very strange one. You know, they, they definitely, there is no flour being sold. Um, uh, no smoke rolls or no vapor rolls. Um, edibles, it's weird because they consider a tincture not an edible. They consider a pill or, or a gel cap not an edible. Okay. You understand what I mean? So, so um, you know, uh, the average Georgian is going to have to understand that what we've done is like any other plant-based medicine, We've taken a plant-based medicine and turned it into a delivery system that is legal, whether it be gel caps, tinctures. Um, it, it, I'll tell you a very weird one. You can't sell an edible, but you can. they, they may let you sell a gum. Okay. Hmm. Really? Okay. Really? That's what I say. Really? The gum's not edible? Okay. I guess not because you don't swallow it, but you swallow the, the juices from it. So um, I, still believe, I still believe that the consumer in the Georgia area is going to want to understand, well, why should I pick this over this? Why should I do this and not this? And so, you know, we're going to probably probably try to put on as many forums as we can just to educate the consumer about the value of cannabis. The fact that, you know, other countries look at it as a geriatric drug. Other countries, you know, look at it as an opportunity to, you know, lessen your pharmaceutical. You know, I think thinking about it Um, as an ingredient, not as a form factor. And then first, I think starts to, starts to make sense of it all, right? Like a cannabis drink is about social consumption. That's the the, the bread and butter occasion for right. a cannabis drink is in your group setting and you want to 
you know, not, not have alcohol or you'd like to have a, a, a cannabis experience in this group setting. That's when drinks really shine because that's where we're built for. If you're by yourself alone and you want a, a quick 10 milligrams or five milligrams of THC, there are more efficient ways to do that than a slow five milligram, 355 milliliter, 12 ounce can. Like, there's more efficient means of doing that. And it's about kind of understanding that, yeah, that all these form factors have a role in how you can consume cannabis. And for medicinal purposes, maybe you don't want the sugar that's in a teapot or for a social setting. Maybe you don't want like a, a pill that you want to pop and you want to have something that's a little bit more normal and social. So, yeah, like the form factors are a delivery device, but they also really fit different occasions and kind of the different energy of the room and who's with you and how many people like there's not just one universal form factor from cannabis. And I think, you know, what you're talking about, George, is a great example of that. You know, you need to kind of need to have it all to cover every form and every occasion. Absolutely. What anything else you want to add? How about give some people the stats? Where can they go if they want to find out more information? They just want to read about it before. Yeah, sure. Well, I mean, again, our, our Boston Beer Company has a, a range of products in the alcohol space in America. So if you're in the States and you're listening and you like a great tasting beer, Sam Adams is always a great choice. Twisted Tea, Angry Orchard. But for what we're talking about, which is the future of adult consumption, which is cannabis drinks, Come to Canada, go to our website, drinkteapot.com, or go to our handles, at drinkteapot, and you can learn all about the brand. You can see where you can buy it, learn about our new flavors that are coming out, um, and uh, and say hi to us. Like I said, we have events coming up across uh, across the country this summer. We've got lots of ways to, to, uh, to support our brand. We've got merch, everything. So Drink Teapot is uh, our, our handle across everything. Well, you know, I have a I have another project that I'm working on. It's called The High Road, which is kind of like a show about cannabis all over the world. So I might take you up on that invitation. If you guys want to invite me up to one of your big events, maybe I'll roll up there with my crew. With Keith and I will come up there and do podcasts from You know, Canada is in so many ways just like America, but there are so many little differences. And I think you'd find that, yes. you know, we're maybe a little bit more socially accepting of cannabis. Like when we legalized, this guy didn't fall business as usual for, for 99% of the people. So yeah, come up and we'll show you a little bit of how, uh, how we do things up here uh, north of the border. Okay, for sure, my friend. Well, thank you so much for being here. Again, oh, anything else you great, want Montel, Thank you for all you do to normalize the Canvas conversation. And uh, no, I can't wait to do this again. Absolutely. I'd love to have you back. So keep me posted and let us know if you ever want to come back. You're always got an invite here free. And then maybe we may take you up on getting up there to see if we can uh, set up and do some podcasts live from your venue. All right, my friend, you stay well, stay safe. Love that family of yours. And I'll see you next time. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also. So please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.